Well, we're in the book of Psalms this morning, so if you can turn there, in the book of Psalms. As you turn there, let me just uh, ask you a question. How often in your speech and in your prayers and in your conversation would you say Jesus is Lord? Jesus is King. He is my Lord. He, he is my King. And we should continually say these things, right? Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign. He is ruler. He reigns over the nation. He is enthroned. He is the King of King. He is the Lord of Lord. He has authority over creation, over demons, over people, over hell, over all things. And this Jesus, we ought to continuously say, he deserves all the glory and all the honor and all the worship and all the praises. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether on earth or under the earth or in heaven, and the, and, and the demons that will tremble in his presence. We believe this, right? But if this is true, of Christ, that we believe this about Jesus, that he is the ruler, he is the one who reigns, he is the commander and chief, he he is the one who we have surrendered our lives to under his lordship and under his kingship, then how do we approach him when we come together in worship? I think about it when you were to approach someone who was in high authority, perhaps someone in a monarch or, or a queen, uh, would you come into their presence in an unworthy manner? There will be a way that you will respect this king or queen to the highest degree. But how foolish are we that we believe all these truths about Jesus and we know that Jesus is king and yet we fail to approach him as king, in a holy manner, in a pure manner, in a respectful manner, when we come together and worship. Yes, Jesus has removed the penalty of sin. The wrath of God was poured out upon him, and he has adopted us in his family through his blood. He is no longer our judge. He is our brother. He is our friend. But this Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, he is still king. He is still king. And we ought to come and respect this king and approach him to the highest respect. Psalm 15, that's where we're at this morning. The psalmist this morning, the psalm of David was written perhaps where people will come together, worshippers will come together, and they would arrive at the gate, at the tabernacle uh, court where Yahweh will be present, and they will recite perhaps this psalm as a preparation of worship before they stood into the presence of God. David understood the importance of how to approach God. In actual fact, we will see that David asks God, how do I approach him? The Israelites understood that. We we ought to prepare our hearts, we ought to prepare our minds when we come on Sunday to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I pray that it is only the third Sunday into 2022 that this would be the right way that we would approach God in worship from here on until God comes back. And this psalms, you, in this psalm we will see just a, a few ways that God spells out for us the way we ought to approach Him in worship. It's not ex- exhaustive. This is just a, 
just some ways that the psalmist now begins to say, how do we approach this God? If our desire is to grow in Christ-likeness and our desire is to grow in our love and affection for Jesus Christ and for one another, then we must approach God the way God says we ought to approach him. Let's read the psalm together. And there's a simple outline, basically the question and the requirements, and then we'll have an application. The question, who can approach, and the requirements, what God says. Verse 1, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. And he swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. And so what we see here in our first point, who can approach God in worship? And, and a psalmist begins straight away, David begins here to say, Lord, Yahweh, who can stand in your presence? Who can come and sit there and worship you in your holy presence? Here it says here, yeah, who can abide there? That means who can stay there? Who, who can remain there in a sanctuary in this royal palace? In a, it, it, can, can you... Come however you wish. Who can come there, the psalmist is saying, who can dwell with you in your holy presence? And the word there for dwell is the word that we get uh, permanent residency or temporal residency. This is revealing that, that God would ask a guest to come, but they will have to come in a specific way. The psalmist is saying, who can actually come there? How? How do I come there? He is appealing to God himself. We have to understand that he's saying God, almighty God. He's not, a, he's not appealing to a rabbi or an elder. He's saying, God, who can actually be in your presence? If any man would receive an, an invitation, as I said before, from a monarch, you're not going to go dressed, you know, with unmodesty. You're going to wear your finest apparel. You're going to approach with the highest um, respect. Should we not then consider when we come together how we ought to approach the king of the universe? The Israelites were, were to read this and they were to say, okay, I need to examine. How am I approaching this God? God, how do you want me to approach you? How do you want me to come and worship you? What is my heart? Is there any sin going on? What is my motive? Oh, Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may abide in your tent and dwell on your holy hill? What are the requirements, God, for me to step into your presence? And this word tent, by the way, it speaks about uh, a tent that was put in place and the Ark of the Covenant, where the Shekinah glory, God himself, his presence, uh, will appear. 
And this is the question for worshippers. What, how, God, will you accept? What kind of worship will you accept? How can I step behind the holy of holies? Where the Shekinah glory is at. You know, Christ has saved us and he has torn that curtain in two. And we do step in between now behind the holy of holies. But I, I believe that we don't respect that enough. We don't realize that it was the blood of the covenant of God that tore that open. And now that we are saved by grace, we just approach God and it's okay. It's just Jesus. He's my friend. No, brothers and sisters, that is not the way we ought to approach our holy God. That same word tent, by the way, it is the word used in the New Testament where the word became flesh and he dwelt, dwelt amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and full of truth. Or we not to ask him, God, how should we approach you? How should we approach you? How can we come into your holy hill? It's a serious question. I really believe it's a serious question. Who's his right to stand before God? Lord, what are your requirements? God, what is acceptable worship to you? Would God be pleased with any type of worship because Jesus is our king. Should believers be asking the same question to the Lord? If indeed Christ is our king, should we not then approach him as such, as a king? David knew this and he's saying we need to dress for the occasion. We need to come rightly before God in worship. So he asks, think about it, brothers and sisters. Jesus, who is the one who has no beginning, no end. He knows all things. He searches even the depth of our hearts. He is the sustainer of our soul. He is that King of kings, Lord of lords, and he has invited us to the banquet to drink freely from the fruit of the vine, but how are we dressed when we come into his presence? And means a lot to God, as we will see in a minute. How are we dressed before him? The angels who are before him, they cover their faces and their feet because God is too holy to behold. Are we more than angels to disrespect the God who saved us? He did not save angels. They know their proper worship. And this psalm here this morning is a psalm that is reminding us as believers how we ought to approach this God who is worthy of honor and glory and worship if we want to commune with him. If we want God to use us and we want God to work through this place, then we ought to say, God, what do you want from us? How do we approach you? And we ought to take it seriously. If we want Christ to move in his place all the more, we ought to ask, Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? If you're here this morning, but Christ has not saved you, 
then what I'm about to share with you will mean nothing. It will be works for you. Because what he is about to flesh out for us, us as believers, is really a way that we ought to approach him because we desire him, not so much onto repentance and salvation, but more onto the fact that we want Christ all the more. And so what we will look at some characteristics of what the psalmist says ought to be for us to step into the presence of God. Look at verse 2, and we'll move to verse 2. So he's asked the question, who can come? Basically, what are the requirements? And the answer is this. This is the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. This is God's word. So God is speaking to us and it says, he who walks with integrity, he who walks blamelessly. Here's your first thing. He has a blameless conduct. God says he accepts a person who has a blameless conduct. That's who he is. Uh, that's, that's what he's like in his life. This is describing a man who walks right. He does this. He's a manner of his life. It's a course of his life. He is upright. He is a man who is devout to God and he walks with God. Uh, this person doesn't, doesn't give in to sin very easily. This is a blameless man, not perfect, but it is a man who pursues holiness and blamelessness. His aim is to please God. He sets his standards on high. God is high to him. His aim is to understand God. He knows how vital it is to approach God this way. He wants God and he wants to please God. And we see that word blameless, by the way, with Job. The Lord says he was a blameless and upright man who feared God and turned from evil. The word blameless in actual fact means innocent and pure. This is the man that God says, or woman, you want to approach a holy God. Then you walk like this. This is supposed to be your life. We're not supposed to be saved and then go back and forth into the world. No, we're supposed to live a blameless life. Be ye perfect, for as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're meant to aim for perfection. This is the heart of a man who's revealing his faith. He walks right. He walks with integrity, blameless. In fact, walking blamelessly like this in approaching God, it actually reveals that you belong to God because you want what God wants. And so you are asking God, how do I approach you? says, this way. But if we walk in darkness, what fellowship can we possibly have with God? If our desire is to walk in every shape or form outside like the world, then should God accept us? As believers, should we have fellowship with God if we are walking in darkness? That's the first thing that we see. The second thing, look at verse 2 again. He walks with integrity and works righteousness. He works righteousness. He does what is right. He does the right thing. He lives rightly. 
This person is doing right in the eyes of God. He wants to live right. He lives for the word of God and he lives out the word of God actively in his life. It is noticeable. In other words, this man here that God says he, ex- he expects to be and accepts in his presence, it is a man who is not just a hearer of the word, he is a doer of the word. He doesn't just talk, he practices righteousness. He lives a righteous life. This is a man whom James says, if you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from my works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's this man. He's revealing his faith. God accepts people like this who take seriously who God is, who love his word and live his word. This is what's acceptable. This is what we're reading today. He who can come into your holy presence and worship God, who can stand right with God in fellowship, those who have integrity and work righteousness. And now look at the rest of the verse. And he speaks truth in his heart. You see that? He speaks truth. He walks right. He does right. And he speaks right. Did you get that? He walks right. He does right. And he speaks right. He has control. This is a man who has control. He doesn't do one thing and says another thing. No, this man speaks the right thing. You can rely on this man. This man is trustworthy. This man lets his yes be yes and his no be no. How desperate do we need trustworthy people? We need trustworthy people. And God says trustworthy people are welcome to step into my presence and worship freely and cheerfully but the opposite is true in psalm 12 2 says they speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak that's frightening i'm always concerned when someone tries to flatter me i have a problem trying to figure out if it's a compliment or a flattery I have this, please pray for me. It's just my own little thing. I am trying to figure out if someone's flattering me or just giving God glory. And it's scary. A true, genuine worshiper will always speak the truth about God from his heart. He is honest. And because he's honest, in actual fact, that person will always want best for the other person. Remember, worship begins in the heart. The fourth thing we see is in verse 3. And he does not slander with his tongue, nor evil to his neighbor, nor take a reproach against his friend. A person who is qualified according to God, God's word, to abide, to reside with Yahweh, to commune with Yahweh, to have fellowship according to the Lord is a person who does not slander. It is a person who has high standard of God. We look at grace in our life and we think it's okay to, to be a little bit slanderous. It's okay to be a little bit gossipy. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
This person does not spread false rumors. This person is not a gossiper. He speaks the truth and the truth is from his heart and he wants Christ. He does not slander. God says that if you're a slanderer, he will not accept your worship. That's in contrast to what he's saying. Now, let me tell you something now. A person couldn't be further, further from God when he is a slanderer because the devil is a slanderer. And he couldn't be closer to the devil when he's a slanderer because the devil is a slanderer. A slanderer, in actual fact, it means to spy out. You're basically a slanderer is a person who goes around and is a busybody and wants to know other people's stuff so that he can ruin their reputation. That's what a slanderer is. Proverbs tells us a worthless man plots and his speech is like scorching fire. Proverbs 26, 28 says a lying tongue hates its victims and flattering mouth works ruin. Should God accept a woman or a man who is a slanderer within the body of Christ and come into worship on a Sunday? One writer put it like this in the 1600s. He says, Godly ministers and Christians are loaded with reproaches by wicked men. There is no need that you should combine with them in this diabolical work. Slander is from the pits of hell. It's diabolic and God will not accept it. It's pretty hard stuff, right? But this is what we're reading. Fifth, he says it does not, verse 3, look at verse 3, does not slander with his tongue nor evil to his neighbor. He's a genuine worshiper. He loves others. He wants the best for his neighbors, for people, for his brothers in Christ. He wants the best for them. He does not do evil against them. He doesn't plot to bring people down. Uh, This is a man who loves the Lord, his God, with all of his heart. And he loves his neighbor. What a reminder this morning that when we come and we approach the king of glory, how we ought to come with with pure hearts. Christ loved us and he washed us clean. And by his grace we are saved. But that grace is meant to empower us to deny ungodliness. The grace of God appeared so that we would deny ungodliness. We just use the grace of God and then enter into his presence however we feel. No, this is not what God says. This is not from God. In actual fact, in Romans, this reminds me of Romans chapter 1. I'll just read you a little bit of it in Romans chapter 1 of what these people alike and if we say that we're okay to approach god this way we need to re-examine the scriptures chapter 1 verse 20 28 in in romans says and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge god any longer god gave him over to deprave the mind to those things which are not proper being filled with unrighteousness wickedness 
greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they knew the ordinances of God and those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give a hearty approval to those who practice them. That's, that's frightening. That, that if we are born again, if we're being born of the Spirit of God, that we will think it is okay to come to God in such an unworthy manner. No. Verse three again. Here's a sixth thing. He does not bring reproach. He doesn't disgrace his friends, his neighbors, his, his close relatives. How easy it is to approach God on a Sunday and you might have a reproach or anger towards your sibling. It's very easy because they're close to you. No, this is not the man that God will accept. God is looking for worshippers who will, will not only speak out truth, but they'll speak truth to their neighbor, people who will be humble, they will come to God because they want Christ and they don't want evil in their lives. May we be reminded because how easy it is when you look at this verse and but my neighbor's done something against me and he done this and someone hurt me and blah, blah, blah. Well, may I remind you that he who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth when he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We need to come to God in like manner. God is looking for such people, men and women, who are not ready to revile others, but they are ready to forgive. Who are willing to forgive, not revile in return. Not be evil against a neighbor and a friend. Look at verse 4. Look at this man that God says he will accept. In whose eyes a reprobate, reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Did you get that? He honors those who fear the Lord. Now, this is not saying that a believer doesn't talk to unbelievers. No, what this is saying is, is that this believer does not hang around with those who are mockers and those who hate God and those who are continuously against God and accept their lifestyle in actual fact and be influenced by their lifestyle. No, he does not do that. He is not one who is a Christian on Sunday and then Monday to Saturday he lives like the devil. And his friends are the devil. No, he says he does not do that. But in actual fact, it says he acknowledges those who fear God. May I remind you that we are not meant to have anything to do with the, with the fruit, unfruitful deeds of darkness. And let me encourage you that the scripture says bad company ruins good morals. We are meant to stay away from people who are against God, 
lest we be influenced by them. But then he says the true worshipper stays close to those who fear the Lord. Look, look at it. Look at verse 4 again. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but in contrast, who honors those who fear the Lord. He honors them. God says those who want to step into my presence in worship are those that stay away from wicked men who will bring them down in sin and do not accept anything from chapter 1 of Romans. Right? But look at what it says. Honors those who fear the Lord. This is your brethren. God accepts those who come to him and have like-minded believers in their midst. There is absolutely no exception here or exemption. God accepts those into his presence who shun evil but embrace the fearing, the God-fearing men and women. What Yahweh is saying here, if you desire to be with me, to be on my holy hill, you must honor me, and as you honor me, you respect me, and as you respect me, you honor and respect also the brethren. Those who fear the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord this morning, if Christ is not your Lord, then you're not a brethren. But if you're a brethren, then you honor the brethren. And when you honor the brethren, God is well pleased. And he accepts you in your court, in his court, in fellowship and worship. That's what we read. And then, eight, the eighth thing in, in um, verse 4, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, this man keeps his promises. He keeps his oath. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not say one thing and do another. And then it says, verse 5, he does not put his money at interest. And what this is saying is this, is not so much so that you can't make money and make interest on money. This is really an Old Testament thing where, where, where people were abusing their power and their money and they were making money from poor people. And what this is saying is, is that this man who comes before God is a generous man. He does not charge interest to a brother or a sister. You know, if someone comes, James says, with, with, without clothing in the need of daily food, and you say to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, then what good is that? Right? This is not what this person does. He is a cheerful giver. He is a helper. And he uses his financially financials um, finances wisely and he uses it for the poor and for the needy and for the hungry and in this case for the brethren here's what we're seeing this morning and last thing and we'll move on to the application for us he cannot be bribed he does not put his money in interest nor does he take a bribe against the innocent nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He loves justice. This is a man who loves justice or a woman. You cannot offer this person uh, something to make him sin. He hates crime. He wants to honor God. He wants to 
please God. What do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Here's where we come, I guess, to the last point and a bit of an application. Look at the last part of verse 5. After everything that the psalmist says, He who does these things shall not be shaken. If our desire this morning is to know Christ, is it not that we will be with Christ and established with Him in His presence, in worship, in fellowship, to be close to Him, in His tent, in His holy presence? Then how are we approaching Him? Here we're saying, the psalmist says, those who approach God in this manner will benefit. Those who approach God like this, those whose life is characterized by truthful speech, by righteous actions, holy living, fleeing evil, doing good to your neighbor and to your friends and to your family and to your brethren and putting your finances in front of God and say, God, use it and be in fellowship with the brethren. God says this one, not only he will be accepted, he will be blessed. He will not be shaken. He will not be moved. God will strengthen your soul. God will strengthen your faith. And you'll be like the psalmist in Psalm 1 where it says, you will be like a tree planted by the stream of waters which yields its fruit in its season and the leaf does not wither and whatever he does will prosper. In other words, if you live this way in your approach to God, God will bless you a hundredfold with his presence. That is the whole purpose of that that you will come and approach God in fellowship and God promises that those who approach him this way, you can be sure that you can enjoy sweet fellowship with God. God will not accept that otherwise. Yes, Christ is the anchor of our soul and he is the one who saved us and we read his wonderful truth in Romans. I just want to read him to you. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we say, Amen. And it is because of that that our desire ought to be to approach God the way God wants. Not because we have that, that we would disrespect Him. No one is going to approach someone they respect in an unworthy manner. Why would we? These are the virtues that God is looking for some anyway in this psalm of a person who would desire to be in fellowship with God, one who walks right, one who speaks right, one who is holy, one whose value in his life are for God, and one who is willing to give whatever he has. How do we apply this? Well, first, as I said in the beginning, unless you're born again, you can do all these things, all of it and still end up in a lake of fire. 
you must first come to the end of yourself to understand that Christ is Lord. He is Savior and you are a sinner. And you need Christ to, to, to lift you up from the pits of hell that you deserve. And that's the invitation to you today. When Christ sent out an invitation, he says, go and compel them to come. Well, I'm compelling you to come to Christ and trust him for your soul so that you can begin your fellowship with him. But for those of you who know Christ then, would you say that you approach God rightly this morning? Are you walking a pure life? Are you walking a pure life? And if that's so, is anyone around you benefiting from you walking this pure life? Do you speak the truth? And if you do speak the truth, do you speak the truth in love? These are the people that God says can come and dwell and reside with me, temporary, and you can stay there and you can worship me. Do you easily get entangled with gossip and slander? Do you genuinely love others? Do you love others? Do you love your brethren? I can tell you, the past few weeks, I've seen great love. I have seen great love in serving one another in our sicknesses. And that's been so amazing to me. But we still must examine. Do I actually genuinely want the best for my brethren? When someone reviles you, do you revile back? Are you willing to straight away to put your guards up or are you willing to forgive? Do you have bad company in your life? Who do you hang around with? Who do you fellowship with during the week? Who are your friends? Bad company corrupts good morals and we're supposed to be with other like-minded God-fearing men and women. Do you freely help others? Do you freely help others? This is an examining thing. What can hinder us to approach God this way? I want to give you a few things. Self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. You don't see the need for God and you don't see the need for change. And so why approach God this way? I'm okay. And if I'm okay, God should be okay with that. That's, that's a person who's self-sufficient. Two, self-righteous. I, I don't see a problem with me. Everyone else has got a problem. I think you need to go and approach God that way. You do, you do, you do, but not me. I don't see a problem. I've examined myself. And there's nothing there. Everything's clear. So when I come and approach God, I'm okay. No. Three, self-acceptance. What does that mean? You think too highly of yourself. Too, too much of you. You, you, you got the cross backwards. You, you're looking at the binoculars backwards. You're seeing yourself great and Jesus is very small. You need to turn him the other way. You need to see yourself as what you really are. Very, very small. And God is very great. Unrepented sin 
could hinder you from coming to God the way God wants and the cares of this life. If we love God, we fear God, we respect God, and we come to God the way God wants us to come to him. God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if we confess our sins unto him, if there are these things in your lives that are hindering you, then ask God to forgive you and he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you come and you enjoy God in fellowship and he who does these things shall not be shaken. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Father God, what a challenging text. Lord, how, how often we fall short, Lord God, of approaching you in the way that we ought. Oh, Lord God, I pray that this morning uh, you will give us, Lord God, truth in our hearts to understand, Father God, you are holy, you are righteous, you are perfect, you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords. And if we love you, Lord, and respect you, Lord God, help us to approach you in that manner. That we don't shame you, Lord God. That we don't come to you the way we think we ought, but the way you want us to come. So we pray, Father, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that we can only come because of Christ. But it is because of Christ that we desire, Lord God, to come, Lord, pure and holy. So, Father, I pray that your word will fall on good soil and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100. Amen.